The Toho guys and special guest Casey at Monopsky article on Twitter survive a mysterious plane crash, but will they survive a body snatching goo that turns its hosts into murderous space vampires? It's episode 41. Goke, body snatcher from hell. Welcome to another episode of Toho Yaro. I'm your host this episode, Joey Weiser, and with me as always are my usual co-hosts, Scott Dryman. Hey, Scott. Hi, Joey. And Alex Kazanis. Hey, Alex. Hey, Joey. Hey, nice to have you two here. But we also have a special guest this episode. It's Casey. Hey, Casey. Joey, hello. Hello. So others may know you as Manovsky article on Twitter. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I post about comics on the internet and sometimes people enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I'd say that's fair. Good. (laughs) So, uh, this episode, we're going to be talking about 1968's Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell. This was a listener request from Sadie, who goes by at the Gagano on Twitter. So thank you, Sadie. Um, and uh, yeah, so I want to go over the the crew and cast a little bit before we dive in. Uh, this was directed by Hajime Sato, uh, who is the director of a lot of sci-fi and superhero film and television. He directed Golden Bat from 1966, which is a Sonny Chiba superhero film that I really love. Um, we may end up covering that some point in the podcast. And 1966 is actually a pretty big year for him. He also directed uh, the Akuma-kun uh, television series based off of Shigeru Mizuki's <clears throat> manga um, and another Sunny Chiba sci-fi movie called Terror Beneath the Sea, which looks cool. Definitely want to look into that. And I guess later in his career, uh, moved into animation, working on Hayao Miyazaki's Future Boy Conan and Osama Tezuka's Cleopatra, Queen of Sex. So... Some uh, big projects under this guy's oh, yeah. belt. Yeah, totally. Um, as far as notable actors, this has a um, this isn't like a huge cast, but it's the kind of cast where everybody has pretty close to equal uh, <laughs> focus. Um, so I'm going to just cover a few of the actors. Uh, Taro Yoshida plays Sugisaka, the co-pilot. Um and I know him from Taro Ishii's Horrors of Malformed Men, where he's the, he's the star of that. Um, and other films, he's he's been in a few other Ishii movies like Hot Springs Geisha and Orgies of Edo. So some kind of uh, <laughs> spicier uh, sounding entries. Um, and uh, Tomomi Sato plays the stewardess, Kazami uh, Asakura, and... Uh, her uh, filmography, the one that stood out to me the most is that she's in the fifth Lone Wolf and Cub movie, Lone Wolf and Cub Baby Cart in the Land of Demons from 1973. Uh, she plays this pickpocket character in that. Um, Ezo Kitamura uh, plays the senator, Gozo Mano. Um, and he's he's been in like a lot of stuff. He's, he's in a few of the Battles Without Honor and Humanity movies. Uh, Zatoichi Goes to the Fire Festival, uh, one of my favorites, and Hitokiri. So some kind of big ones uh, for him, for sure. Uh, Nobuo Kaneko uh, stood out to me. He's he's Tokuyasu, the arms dealer, who's, who's like assisting the senator. Um, he's, in my opinion, at least, he's kind of the biggest actor to come out of this. I see him in a ton of Yakuza movies. Uh, like battles without honor and humanity and stuff. He's always playing this kind of like sniveling Yakuza boss or something similar. Uh, I think he's a really great character actor. Um, and uh, finally, uh, Hideo Ko plays uh, Hirofumi Teraoka, the the hijacking man who's uh, possessed by the the space ooze. Um, he's uh, he doesn't actually have a huge filmography uh, when I looked into it. So I, I looked a little bit deeper. And in addition to acting, he was actually a musical recording artist. Um, he participated a lot in the big end of the year TV music challenge, Kohaku, um, several times in the 50s and 60s. And um, apparently moved to Paris briefly in the 70s. And due to poor health uh, he is why he stopped acting and primarily focused on singing 
Um, but he he had received several awards uh, for his singing career uh, until he finally passed away in 2009. So I think that was kind of interesting. Uh, Hiroyuki Nish- Nishimoto, who plays the uh, the nameless airplane captain, was also the anime voice for the Snufkin and Moomin. Oh, <laughs> oh really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That must have been one of the earlier Snufkins, because I know uh, what's his name. That's the voice of Frieza. Is is Snufkin in? Uh... Oh wait, no. I was thinking of Sniff. Oh, the cool, yeah, Snufkin. Oh, yeah, he's got a good voice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one time when I was watching some Japanese movement with some friends, uh, they were upset and said that Snufkin sounded too sexy. Uh, which <laughs> that would be, you have uh, Nishimoto to thank for that sexiness. <laughs> <laughs> um, and as far as other notable staff, I wanted to mention, we can get into this more later, but that the music is by Shunsuke Kikuchi. Um, yeah. A popular Toei musician who uh, is probably best known, at least on our side of the the world, for his work on Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z. So, yeah, that's pretty great. Um, yeah. So, uh, oh, go when ahead. The, when the movie was starting up, I was like, man, this music's cool. And <laughs> in, in the back of my head, I'm like, man, I wonder if. And then uh, when the credits were going by, I was like, yes, I knew it. Yeah, man. I, yeah. If you've watched enough like DBZ, especially like devouring it like we did i think when we were kids like kikuchi like there's something in us that senses it (laughs) as soon as (laughs) it starts to come up when you're Um, watching an exploitation movie you want the composer of female prisoner scorpion to yeah (laughs) also play this part yes Um, so, uh, this is all of our first viewing of this, right? Yes. Um, had anybody seen this before? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Yeah. This is my first time seeing it. I had been interested in this uh, box set that had come on the Criterion's Eclipse series uh, uh, called When Horror Comes to Shochiku, which is just like a series of Shochiku Studios horror movies. Um, uh, Originally, I was interested in that set because of the kaiju movie that's on it, X from Outer Space. Uh, But then when I was looking into the set, I remember seeing several screenshots of this and being like, oh, this this is really fascinating looking. So after getting the set and knowing that we were going to be eventually covering this, I, I saved this one for last. And I'm glad I did because I think actually it's kind of the best of the set. <laughs> uh, X from Outer Space is not that great, unfortunately. It's got a really good monster in it and some good pyrotechnics and stuff. But um, I also recommend The Living Skeleton off of that set. That's, that's, that one's pretty good. Um, but yeah, did were any of you like familiar with this movie, or is this pretty much going in cold? Uh, same familiarity. Yeah. It was from that Eclipse series box set. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah, I had no no idea about this movie until you know we put it on the schedule, and um, mm-hmm. I assumed it was actually a, I didn't even look at the date, so I assumed it was um, a little more contemporary. And I thought mm. it was going to be a lot more, uh, I guess, gory and intense than it ended up being. Yeah, you know that 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 subtitle, "The Body Snatcher from Hell," is obviously like uh, added from like Amer- uh, American releases where it was sort of sensationalized because the that Japanese title is just like the Vampire Goke whatever Mi- Midoro, the, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Which is like, yeah, I, I, when the title comes up, I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, like I can read Katakana. This is, that does not say like there's, yeah, Goke is in there, but yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting to, yeah. to read up afterwards. You want to read it in like a grindhouse voice. <laughs> Goke, body snatcher from hell. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, I was on the same page as Alex where I had heard the title before and I had only seen the screenshot of like the guy with the stuff oozing out of his face. And I thought it was like from a, a 80s horror movie or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it does kind of have that sort of 80s palette to it. Um, so to briefly synopsize the movie, um, it opens with a jet flying against a blood red sky, which is a really uh, striking image. And and. There's a few things to kind of be uneasy about at the beginning. Uh, birds keep kind of horrifically smashing up against the windows. And um, <laughs> I love the a, splat sound. <laughs> I know, man. It's, it's so, so bloody. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a and, very reassuring uh, effect, too, though, because you can still see that the birds are kind of okay. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly are flapping around a lot. <laughs> 
Um, and there's a bomb threat that's been called into the flight as well. Um, and after a UFO rushes the jet, they crash land in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we The movie goes on to kind of focus on the survivors of the crash and their drama. Uh, for instance, there's an American woman whose husband died in Vietnam and a senator who's having an affair <laughs> somewhat sanctioned uh, by this guy, uh, by his, his crony. Um, and, um, all the meanwhile, meanwhile, there, uh, uh, one of the other passengers has been possessed by this mysterious space goo, as I mentioned before. And, um, this has turned him into a blood sucking vampire and one by one, they're all picked off. Uh, they, they finally burn up the vampire, but the goo switches bodies and we're eventually left with the co-pilot and the stewardess who run away to find civilization. But, uh, you know, but then it's like, what's this? Everyone uh, else in the world has had their blood sucked and more UFOs are swarming the earth. So that's a very, very brief uh, kind of overview of um, the movie. Um, so what did you guys think about it? Casey, what did you think? Um, <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I, I, I watched the first 15 minutes of this twice. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and both times, the first 15 minutes, it really amped me up. I think it is some of the best stuff in the movie there's yeah. <laughs> there's just so much going on like you said it opens on the blood red sky you get so much information about all the characters very quickly you have this really mm-hmm. nice tight set full of uh just you know character actors performing um but also it's just there's just so much thrown at you all at once there's you know mm-hmm. over here there's this plot about this assassin who killed the british prime minister and is probably the hijacker and he's got his hidden weapons and some acid and there's talk about a bomb threat that doesn't end up being anything and yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know you have this creepy psychiatrist that just stands up and has that like tom and jerry that, that uh that weird meme comic with tom from tom and jerry energy where you know the, you know the one where, like, where tom is like a lot of people die all the time while wearing seatbelts in cars. I just think that was interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's, yeah, I thought that guy was really interesting, this creepy psychiatrist. I feel like it shows a kind of like different view of psychiatry and, and science and stuff a little bit that he was this like weird, creepy Vincent Price guy or something. He's yeah. so gleeful about the possibility that it could be a bomb threat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, those are happening all the time, you know? Um yeah, just yeah. I, he says something like, "I love it when people are pushed to their limits." Yes. <laughs> yeah. So that that stuff is all really great. Um, and I, I even you know right up to the point too where we we start seeing the UFO, which is just this really great infrared special effect. I don't quite know how they did it, how they tinted mm-hmm. the film to look that way, but especially when the. Uh, when the hijacker, who is the first person to uh, encounter the blob, his walk up to it, where you know he's that same vivid orange and red and yellow as mm-hmm. the as the UFO, and even the UFO set looks really cool. Uh, but I, I don't find that the movie really maintains that same energy after the after he's uh, body snatched. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, what were your general thoughts, Scott? Uh, I kind of felt the same way, like the cold open into the blood red sky with the plane. I was just like, whoa, this is just we're getting into it, huh? Um, and yeah, the it, I loved all that. There's a lot of good stuff in the movie. I found the acting to mostly be pretty cheesy, mm-hmm. um, but in a, in a fun, enjoyable kind of way. But yeah, just the, the pacing later on uh, made me feel like they were there was uh, too much in between the good, interesting parts. Mm. Um, but I think the the good stuff that's there is very good and cool. Uh, but I just wish that the movie was a good bit shorter, basically. Yeah, it's not even that long. It's kind of like it's more like an hour and a half or something like that. Right? Less. Yeah, it's like an hour and twenty four minutes. Yeah. What What did you think, Alex? Ah, uh, man, I wasn't expecting it to be a B movie, and once I figured that out, I started having a lot more fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um. I laughed a lot. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Casey, Casey's kind of dead right in, in in saying that the beginning of the movie has some of the best stuff, and I I um I kind of wish a more 
it, a more interesting movie followed that just mm. because you have these uh you have this cast of characters and you feel like they're all there for some sort of reason you know um but really they're all just there to eventually get all the blood sucked out of their bodies and mm-hmm. nothing really else comes of it um you know uh i the psychiatrist guy does his thing in the beginning like you know he says his piece and he doesn't really do much after that and he just sort of falls off a cliff it's (laughs) (laughs) you know it's and at the beginning of the movie where there's a bomb threat and there's an assassin who may or may not have killed the british ambassador which never ever comes back again like it doesn't like you feel like it should be important but it really isn't in the grand scheme of things like mm-hmm. how could how, like all these things like man what the, what the, this has got to be the unluckiest plane ride just because there's yeah, right? so so many <laughs> so many uh, forces of evil on it uh, already even before the UFO makes it crash um, yeah it's a uh, yeah I I definitely had fun with it once once I kind of got got into it a little more but there were there were definitely times. In this movie that, uh, and, and this also could be, you know, due to the fact that I didn't get very much sleep last night, that I, like, almost nodded off during the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I yeah. think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you call it, a, like, a B movie. That's actually what I have in my notes is I, I wrote that. It, it, I, thought, I think it's kind of a perfect B movie. Like, it's exactly that kind of thing. And I, I enjoyed it more than it's sounding like you guys did. But um, I definitely understand where you're coming from. But like, I don't know, I kind of like how it like spanned several genres. It has the sci fi, it has the horror and most of all, like it has the and it has vampires, of course, but it has this sort of like bottle episode disaster flick kind of thing going on. Yeah. So when I was I think that's neat uh, at the beginning, like, well, while after the planet crashed and this guy, you know, you know, disappears or whatever and he comes back uh like eventually um when they're all this sort of in in the uh, in the plane sort of you know arguing with each other i sort Mm -hmm. of thought that this was going to take a uh john carpenter's the thing type turn Mm -hmm. where people would have to argue over you know which one you know which one of us is the is the thing but uh really it's really easy to distinguish which one the thing is in this with by the vagina on the forehead <laughs> yeah right it's uh yeah <laughs> very distinguishing <laughs> mark um yeah i don't know i kind of i like the cast a lot i like that they're very hammy and uh cheesy and <clears throat> I, I like kind of like even if it doesn't really like amount to much like i like spending time with each of them and finding out like what their deal is and being like, oh, okay, that's an interesting character. And now that they're done, they can have their blood sucked out. Of them or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think in the movie that, Oh, Oh, you go Casey. Sorry. No, I, I think it actually might be the fault of the English title, because as you said, you know, Goke, the body snatcher from hell is not the title in Japanese, which is more, you know, the vampire, the vampire, uh, Goke Mitaro, which is the name of the aliens, the Goke Mitaro. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for a movie that's, you know, English titled The Body Snatcher from Hell, I expected a lot more body snatching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised that it like I think I had sort of settled into like, OK, this is going to be the one guy whose body snatched. And when it does finally leap over to the other guy, it, it was like, oh, oh, OK, I guess we're doing this now. And then that didn't really amount to much. <laughs> I think um I think a more apt title for this movie should have been Goke the Space Vampire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I feel like that would have set expectations a little better for for me at least. Um, yeah, when they first crash, I really actually like all the, the stuff with them bickering and finding out all these personal stories. And it reminded me uh, in a good way of Lost uh, for a while. Mm. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, are we going to focus more on their like internal drama than actually this weird alien possessed man running around on the outside. Uh, but that kind of falls away pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. When he's first waking up uh, from the crash, <laughs> the the pilot uh, and walking around, you could easily see how that same setup could be like a PS1 era 
uh, pre-rendered background survival horror game. <laughs> like, you know, he's checking on the people that way. He's picking up, he finds the one gun that doesn't really come into play. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it, it's a, it's a really cool sequence and it builds up the tension well. And then a lot more of them survived the crash than I expected. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it, it makes me kind of wish that there had been like, a bunch of extras that had just sort of been dead because it's like, you know, it, it's a little weird that it's like, oh, I guess basically everybody survives. When, but, they, but they say, so we're the only survivors, but we yeah, only, exactly. Like yeah, two they or make three it die. seem like that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and there's like a little like. There's the whole like uh, side plot of them not having anything to drink, and that seems to really mostly just affect one guy who's really panicking about that and drinking yeah. alcohol instead. And and then <laughs> and then you find out that they're actually not too far away from civilization, which seems a little bit like a Twilight Zone twist, but they don't really like focus on that that much. So, yeah, it's definitely like messy and not quite fully formed uh but that's the that's where the kind of b-movie quality that i i like uh comes in absolutely yeah yeah there's a couple points in the movie i i i made some notes here because i laughed a lot in this movie yeah. uh and mm-hmm. and uh and it's mostly because of the b-moviness um when the uh, the unnamed assassin takes the um uh he takes the uh the flight attendant uh hostage and mm-hmm. um was it the flight attendant? He took somebody hostage at the very beginning, or was it? Yeah, there was the guy. Yeah. yeah, he took the flight attendant hostage, and um, and there's this like menacing music, and he's like, you know, he, he makes his exit, and then for the next ten to fifteen seconds, you see him like trying to make his way down the hill with like no music, and it's <laughs> so funny, like it, <laughs> it's just like ha ha ha, you'll never catch me, and then he's just like. Ugh, uh, yeah, <laughs> just trying to trying to get down the hill without falling. Man, um, speaking of those hills, how about those falling rocks towards the? Oh my god, the it, was, it, it was like playing Pitfall or Contra or some sort of video game where there's just like this is part of the mountain where rocks just fall down for no reason and they just keep falling. Like, <laughs> what's happening up there? <laughs> I love that. Uh, god, the the fact that they managed to. To not get hit is a miracle. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think um, so. Do you guys want to let's talk a little bit about the special effects? Like, uh, there's yeah. a lot of really cool. Like, there's cool like miniature work. Like the the crashing plane was like really neat. Oh yeah. Uh, t- to see and that glowing UFO like uh, Casey was talking about. Um, I I was actually pretty impressed by the the effect of the goo. Uh, coming in, uh, like rising up into his head and stuff. I thought that that looked pretty great and and like, coming out pretty gross. Yeah, got it. Yeah, that m- made me squirm. It's just so disgusting looking. And and yeah, the the head model is actually really good, uh, yeah. which I think helps out a lot. Um, but yeah, it's just like viscerally like ugh. <laughs> Very I effective. thought it looked like uh, I thought it looked like hand soap or conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> When it's coming yeah, out, too, it always makes someone's head look like it's being squeezed out like toothpaste. It's, <laughs> but it's but it's like this really grotesque kind of convincing mm-hmm. where you must feel bad for the actors. Uh, <laughs> but in, in that same token, when um when the hijacker is killed and it jumps out, I really loved the effect of his body crumbling like sand. Oh yeah, yeah. that's true. Very and we well get a done. few. Um, uh, dummies thrown from uh, <laughs> heights. Yeah, I always, always love when you just see a see a stiff <laughs> dummy like falling down the side of a mountain. Yeah. Yes. Um, the uh, like the guy's wife, uh, Mono's wife, uh, getting getting chucked. That was like that's totally a mannequin. And then when the um, uh, when the other guy falls off the mountain, it's mm-hmm. definitely like just a rag doll. Like it's yeah. it, it's oh god, I love it. <laughs> Uh, I did also like the uh, the weird, like desiccated version of her face after uh, she falls down the mountain and they see that she's also crumbling Mm -hmm. away. Uh, And then they reuse that same uh, that same head model for the the attendant and the the uh, on the freeway. Yeah, I yeah, noticed that too. I was that. like, it's missing the eye in the same place and everything. You're not even. 
It's just you gotta, economical. You got to move that budget as much as you can. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and why when some people have their blood sucked, they turn into corpses, like they just turn blue, and then some of them turn into the Crypt Keeper. I don't understand. But Well, that was the other thing, too. I was I was especially wondering once, because, you know, it, it does look fantastic when he walks into that one, when they walk into that one room at the end, and there's just mm-hmm. all these bodies arranged, like, where, where exactly where they were sitting, like... It's, I mean, it looks like some of them are just frozen in time, but it makes you wonder, like, all we ever saw was the one vampire. Yeah, so, I know. Where are the other vampires? Yeah. And and I know it's, again, it's because it's because they have a limited budget and probably just a few days to shoot. But I really mm-hmm. wanted to see, like, other vampires running around. I wanted to see, <laughs> you know, a greater threat than just it'll be one guy or another guy. Mm-hmm. Whichever the uh, blob is in. But yeah, it's just you're on a shoestring budget. You, you just embrace the B-movie logic and don't worry about it. Because the end result is that that room full of corpses looks really cool. It does. Yeah. Um, and then you get a little animated like sequence of a lot of <laughs> UFOs surrounding the Earth and turning it gray or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that UFO oh, that- model looks really familiar, and I was trying to place it. It's not quite the same as the one from... Uh, Godzilla and Monster Zero. Mm. Um, but I feel like I have seen that specific model somewhere else before. You probably with the, have. Like, <laughs> rotating nubs on the yeah. bottom like that. Yeah. Due to the, you know, the abundance of miniatures in this movie, I wouldn't be surprised if some of them are, are previously used assets from other movies. Or just yeah, a yeah. toy you I mean, could the, buy. The whole thing about this set yeah. is that Shochiku Studios like didn't do a lot of special <clears throat> effects stuff. They they were more known for dramas and stuff. That's the studio that does the Torasan movies. Um, so like, but you do sometimes see these like special effects studio like studios hopping from film studio to film studio and bringing their assets with them. Um, so it's very possible that something like that happened. Um, oh. Uh- so, so speaking uh, really, really quick of the uh, that last scene with all the bodies, I love that there's just like a skeleton hanging out too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that. Spooky. That had, <laughs> that had to be pulled from another set, and they're just like, hang up everything we got. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That skeleton later appeared in house as the dancing uh, skeleton. <laughs> yeah, there should be a. Yeah, where's where's uh where's that skeleton on the cast list? A mm-hmm. uh, thing that I thought was kind of interesting uh, about this movie is how it kept kind of coming back to the anti-war theme. Mm. Um, yeah, and you know we get that talk, of course, from the American woman about how terrible war is. But then what was really unsettling and and pretty grim were those flashes of actual war footage and photography and stuff that you get yeah. towards the end there. Yeah, that was so gruesome and like putting it in the context of like, oh, yeah, this is like they made this right at the the tail end of the Vietnam War mm-hmm. that was still going on was uh, an, an interesting framing that I did not think about until they threw it at me. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, I did find it interesting that um, the the American woman wasn't necessarily treated uh, unsympathetically either in her view of war that you know she thinks it's a terrible thing and she's even the first to sympathize you know albeit tragically with the body possessed uh plane mm-hmm. hijacker because his because his facial wound re- resembles <clears throat> the facial wound her husband suffered when he got hit with a grenade like she sees the similarity and is at least willing to give the benefit of the doubt just because it makes her think that we're all the same and war. yeah yeah, I thought yeah. that was interesting, for sure. Uh, inclusion they, is is really fascinating to me. Just like a, I, which I guess is a venue for them to work in more of the war stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. But I do like that she eventually has her villain turn because she's too afraid of dying. Mm-hmm. After all of this, like weepy sympathetic stuff, she's like, "I'm going to get this gun. And I'm going to get out of here." <laughs> yeah, you know what though? The um the the weird thing about that is because, and I think this is a perfect time to talk about the dirt worst character in this movie, Gozo Mano, is that he's the uh-huh. one he's the one that wanted to sacrifice her, but she ends up pointing the gun and shooting the guy that's saying that <clears throat> they shouldn't do anything to her. Yeah, yeah, she shot the pilot in the arm, like. 
well, which I thought, <laughs> which I thought was was hilarious when she's trying to shoot uh, the vampire. Yeah, and like shoot him! You shot the you shot the good guy. Like yeah. shoot the bad guy. <laughs> she's holding a rifle at very close range. I know. Yeah. It almost made me. I was like, wait, why did she shoot him? Like she did that on purpose or something? And I was like, oh, why? Why did she shoot him? <laughs> yeah, my assumption yeah. during that scene was like she's gonna shoot him and it's not gonna do anything because he's possessed by this mm-hmm. monster goo and then it very clearly shows that she's just missing him and I was like well that seems like a missed opportunity to make this seem more menacing yeah yeah <laughs> no instead yeah. we're just gonna just uh, douse him in gasoline and that'll do the trick <laughs> <laughs> yeah for for now he is like a symbiote mm. uh, for those you know spider-man readers out there uh, I, did, uh, I did like the execution of that fire for a when they clearly did not want to have to put somebody in an actual fire suit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, just the way they accomplish it. It's pretty nice. Some fire. Yeah. Fire around. in the foreground. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the anti-war sentiment, it's, it's funny that you guys mentioned that because, uh, there's something that they say in the beginning, which is, uh, interesting how after the bomb was dropped, uh, there, you know, there've been more, sightings of uh of ufos mm. which i don't i don't know if that's an actual statistic or not but um but i think it's interesting that they uh you know brought that up in order to make this uh make it relevant well at, uh, to the movie at the very least you know in the post-atomic era there was a statistically much larger increase of ufos in film it's true yeah that's true yeah a lot of the uh the global ufo phenomenon was born out of like cold war paranoia and that kind of thing so yeah the fact that we were actually going up in, into space made people think more about well, what if somebody else is out there mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally. but I did, I did like the idea that they were drawn to us because of our you know our uh poorly <clears throat> our, you know our poorly handled uh use of atomic weaponry and so on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's like very very little light details of that stuff kind of thrown in, um, just enough to like make it a, a movie, you know, kind of <laughs> where they're just trying to justify what they really want is just like an excuse to have like a cool monster guy chasing people around an airplane, I guess. But um, so uh, yeah. Do you, uh, do you guys have anything else to say about the music? Uh, a thing that I thought was really great and very B movie uh, esque is that the the use of the theremin mm-hmm. uh, was yeah, very too. good, um, and very perfect for this type of thing. And and not you know with uh, Kikuchi, I'm used to hearing uh, lots of horns and uh, vibra slaps and other sort of like yeah uh, flexitones, yeah yeah things like that. But I don't. Th- think well i don't know maybe there is some theremin in the dbz music actually now that i think about it actually Um, i actually really loved that there was just that little bit of theremin over the shochiku logo yeah yeah that was cool um i actually so i love theremins i have uh repeatedly threatened my wife amy with buying one uh, as recently as like a few weeks ago, uh, saying I was going to do that with uh, Christmas money. Um, do it. And, and so like when that first came in, I was super excited. I was nice. like, I instantly loved the music because I'm just a sucker for it. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, I went to, uh, I was in Asheville a couple months ago and I went to the Moogzeum. Ooh, uh, wow. Where I got to uh, play a theremin for the very first time in my life. Very, very difficult. Yeah, so what it's like you put your hands near it, right? And depending on how close Yeah. Yeah, it's weird cuz there is a it's there's like an x-axis and a y-axis type mm-hmm. situation with it. Um and uh yeah, I I, I couldn't explain to you the, the science of it. Uh, I could have probably done that maybe about a month ago when I retained everything mm-hmm. that I learned at the museum, but um <laughs> Yeah, you definitely need to use it. It's sort of a um, the best the best way I can describe it is patting your uh, head and rubbing your belly at the same time. Oh yeah, it's kind of like that. Interesting. Yeah, it's basically yeah. just two antennas on an X and Y axis. Uh, one of them controls the the amplitude of the tone, and the other controls the volume. So moving your hands uh, uh, around controls both of those at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But yeah, I just love the, I, I don't know what actual like wave sign that sound is, but it's so distinct. And I love that it's so tied into like B space and horror movies. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we're doing theremin talk, I, I uh, saw John Spencer Blues Explosion rock the theremin um, one time. That was great. Um, so, uh, favorite parts of the film? This could be like scenes or just aspects of the movie that you wanted to highlight. Uh, Casey, since you're our guest, go ahead. Did you have anything specific that you wanted to bring up? Uh, well, again, you know, I really love the first eight to fifteen minutes of the movie. I, uh, but there, you know, there is good stuff elsewhere. Um, I, I will highlight a a scene that I thought was fairly amusing, uh, which is. Uh, I you know I have to give it up for um, Azo Kitamura's performance as Gozo Mano, the corrupt politician, mm-hmm. because he is comedically evil for most yeah. of this movie. <laughs> uh, I think one of the funny, one of the outright pop, you know, probably deliberately funniest scenes in the movie is uh, right after they wake up from the crash. The uh, Tokuyasu, who is this like sniveling contractor that's trying to get Mano as, Mano, uh, as a politician to pass defense bills in his favor uh he immediately goes to check on mono because you know tokyo is woken up first of their group and then mono wakes up and goes wait did you check on your wife and so tokyo run you know they, they, they go check on the wife but mono is way more interested in the wife as you know as this kind of affair arrangement that's been going on yeah, but, but Mano's also more concerned about Tokuyasu's wife than his own, to the point where even when his own wife dies by falling off a cliff, he doesn't seem to be that bothered by it. Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah, and there's that weird scene of him like making out with his wife, and and Tokuyasu's just kind of standing there looking at them like. <laughs> oh my god, that that scene, and then he gives him the whiskey and starts guzzling it down. I'm, I I just wrote down horny Mano. Like, <laughs> is this what I, like? He's so horny that he's got to just be guzzling. He's he's guzzling down this this handle of of whiskey. It's it's <laughs> it's absolutely I, insane. I did like uh, when, when that happened. I was like, well, that's a terrible idea if you're dehydrated to start drinking whiskey. And then that actually pays off God. later. I was like, oh, that's a calculated move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Um, so, Scott, did you have a favorite thing that you wanted to talk about? Uh, I did. But first, I want to talk a little bit about the acting since we kind of breeze sure. over it earlier uh, i like there's a lot of good kind of like cheesy b-movie acting uh but also like a b-movie there's that one actor that's kind of like acting circles around everybody else uh with uh, nishimoto's airplane captain but i just love that like he seems to be the only person there that really is treating this with with the seriousness <laughs> of a real movie while everybody else is just like overacting and being these like really goofy characters. Yeah, um, totally. But uh, my favorite uh, part of the movie is actually the like interior UFO set. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like all of these crazy lights and the, the shimmering. Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just like the series of frames that they have this, uh, this like silvery paper behind that. I guess they're waving around. It looks so good. Um, and even though it doesn't get used much and it's obviously not like a full set, it's just visually striking, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that I haven't really seen, uh, uh, in other movies. Yeah, totally. Uh, how about you, Alex? Uh, man. Yeah. I, I think I just mostly enjoyed, uh, the cheese, um, and the elements thereof. Uh, <laughs> I wrote down this quote. I want to see a vampire. Like, there are these two guys, these two guys who are have these very different point of views, and they're arguing, and then they and and they're also like they they know what's going on outside. You know, there's danger afoot, but instead of figuring out like you know how are we going to you know beat this thing, how are we going to destroy this monster, or how are we going to you know get help, 
the thing that they want to do is see a vampire. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and don't we all? At the end of the day, yeah. don't we all? <laughs> like, if I wanted to see vampires, I would go to I'll, I'll go to Baltimore and check out Club Orpheus at three in the morning. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I, and, and and I mean, look, if I'm if I'm in danger, the last thing I want to do is take a a little diversion out. I don't know. I just thought that was very funny. Um, That's great. Uh, I, I I do. Um, uh, piggybacking a little bit off of what Scott said about the acting, uh, Tokuyasu during that scene where you know now he's got the gun and he's got mm-hmm. the upper hand and you know, uh, you know that was part of my you know I was all part of Keikaku. Um, he makes these faces, yeah, and, and they're in they're they're so good they're mm-hmm. they're like he's really hamming it up. Yeah, and um, that really that really stuck out to me. These faces that he's making during this scene, he's really like chewing it as much as he possibly can. He knows, okay, this is my this is my time to shine. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely, yeah. Just yeah, little. I yeah, like I didn't have like one one major major thing that I I, I you know I I loved more than anything else, but I just I liked the. Uh, yeah, the the B moviness of it all, the re- the recapping of what you know just happened, or the exposition that we don't need, or or the fact that <laughs> towards the the end of the movie, when the pilot and the flight attendant are you know trying to find civilization, and there's this really dire music, and then they get to the highway, and the music just completely stops out of nowhere. I busted a gut laughing. I I don't know. It's uh, it, the, the 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 sheer timing of it. Like once I like I said earlier, once I figured out this was a B movie, I really started <clears throat> taking to it. And to be honest, I don't know if I've ever seen a Japanese B movie before. And mm-hmm. I'm not counting. I and I and I and I think I would put Tokusatsu in its own particular category. In in this case. Yeah, like so we had covered um that Godzilla movie the um uh I'm blanking on the um Monster Zero. Monster Zero. And that has some pretty strong B movie qualities, but it's definitely of a higher quality than this movie is. Um but that's what I really love about those sort of Showa era Godzilla movies is that we get the UFOs and the and you know, monkey people and all sorts of sort of B movie esque things. But yeah, those are definitely kind of slightly better productions than this, <laughs> than this is. Um, something about that scene when they finally find civilization, the, I, I understand that it's supposed to be like they've been traveling for a long time, but because so much of the other movie is like uh, the, the possessed assassin, taking like five minutes to walk 20 feet while menacing somebody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just the pacing of that scene made it seem like they crashed like two miles from the freeway. I laughed out loud. It was so good. <laughs> um, yeah. I so a, I, Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, I was watching this with a friend of mine and we couldn't get over the fact that the wound on the head of any of the vampire victims, it looks like a vagina. Mm. And, uh, and we just kept saying that he belongs in a Dick Tracy movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dick Tracy film. Oh. Yeah. Uh, no, you know, they even point that out in the liner notes uh, to the uh, Criterion set, which I was kind of shocked. Uh, I was like, oh, that seems like an unclassy thing for somebody to be putting in a Criterion notes. But that's they went for it. Yeah. Huh. I think that's one of the other reasons that I thought this was more of like an 80s movie uh, was that I had seen like that. Like I said, the only images I had seen were of the stuff coming out of the face. And that's definitely a very like bizarre kind of yonic image. But there's mm-hmm. um, it's but something there's no, like, like sexuality it's something- to the rest of the horror. <laughs> yeah. A, a vagina head is something that like Cronenberg or Shinya Tsukamoto would do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, we, I think we should talk a little bit about the body harm elements in this movie, right? Cause sure. I think, I think that, uh, I, I'm trying to think like this might be, you know, one of the earlier instances of, of body horror in a Japanese movie, right? 
Yeah, so we actually movie. got a question. Uh, we have a few questions that we'll uh, get back to the others later, but from uh, David Bednar, um, White Carps on Twitter, uh, and he mentions that too. He says, uh, are movies like Goke and Matango the beginning of the body horror genre? And had it already existed? And I'm not enough of an expert to know, but it does seem like very early, um, very, a very early example for sure. Uh, there are definitely elements of body horror that's been going along in horror cinema and like Frankenstein is is the classic sure. body horror. Uh, but the, the the genre as we know it, uh, I feel like mostly started with David Cronenberg, but he didn't actually start doing it. Like his earlier films are something like eight or ten years later after this. Mm-hmm. So the, this is... Uh, Something uh, this explicit of like a gross monster in a gaping wound on somebody. Um, th- this seems like very formative to that genre. Yeah, for sure. There's also somewhat of a debt to, you know, 50s movies like The Blob where, you know, I mean, literally in this case, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, I mean, that that is a body horror thing. Your body is being physically dissolved by a jelly that you cannot stop. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I, I, I am unfortunately I'm not authoritative enough on pre '60s Japanese body horror films. So yeah, yeah this is on the list one I ones I can think of. Matango has been on my list for a long time. That's like Mushroom People uh, or something, right? I, I haven't actually seen that, but I've been wanting to see that for a long time. Likewise, uh, I need to watch it because I think it's an influence on the uh, Bloodborne Alien people. Oh, and okay. I'd like to. Oh yeah, look into that link. No, I I think you're absolutely right about that. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, let's see. Shall we dance? Uh, let's talk about uh, an American remake. Um, I think that something like this could totally work as an American film. You know. Um, like that bottle episode quality that I mentioned and spending time with the individual characters, you know, there's things that would need to be ironed out and, and kind of turned up or, or, you know, not quite as silly or whatever. And there's those like kind of weird attitudes towards psychology and science, like I was saying earlier, but I think it's basically like ready to be exported to anywhere around the world. I don't know what you guys think. I feel like this movie is actually pretty, pretty fertile ground for a modern remake yeah. because you can lean into now, now that we have the hindsight of decades of this genre, we can lean into things like The Thing and other uh, Strange on a Plane movies and actually have like explore some of these themes that I feel like the movie kind of like nascently stabs at. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like all of this interpersonal drama and really ratchet that stuff up and, and have it be interesting. Um, I will say that I kind of want to do a re- reverse uh, shall we dance on this one in that uh, Nishimoto as the like one serious actor actually made me think a, uh, a lot about uh, Leslie Nielsen and um, was it Forbidden Planet? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so now I want like Hiroyuki Nishimoto's. Uh, um, <laughs> version of the naked gun movies yeah <laughs> awesome um yeah yeah no i mean yeah that's the thing is i think it really kind of it already sort of reminded me of american uh horror like uh sci-fi yeah. like atomic age stuff you know sorry so. I, i'm now i'm thinking about um nishimoto's too sexy dub voice for leslie nielsen <laughs> 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 he sounds too sexy. Um, <laughs> so Takashi Shimura Award, uh, where we point out an outstanding or scene-stealing performance. Um, does anybody have anybody you'd like to nominate for this? Uh, Alex, you have anybody? Yeah, um, I, I certainly do. Uh, let's see. I, I look up his name. Yeah. Uh, uh, Yuko Kusunoki, uh, who plays Tokuyasu, I mentioned his faces earlier, and that's what made the biggest impression on me. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, it's a bit, I guess, a toss-up between him and, and Kathy Horan as uh, Mrs. Neal, uh, just because. Um, well, I, I think she gets the benefit of of, of speaking a completely different language than anybody else. 
uh, and um, it, it's I guess she stood out in that in that way for me. Um, but yeah, there's a but, lot of uh, weird like as somebody who speaks her language and is reading subtitles in her language. There's a lot of like repeating information uh, yeah. in this movie. Yeah, not just from her too. Um, so yeah, I, that I definitely noticed that. Also, I'm not sure if she's American or not. She has I'm a very pretty sure she's accent. not. She sounds like Scandinavian, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's got a number of other uh, Japanese film credits, though. So I think she was was not just somebody off the street. I oh sure. I did laugh though because as you said, they there's scenes where she'll say something and then a Japanese character will repeat it for the benefit of the Japanese audience. Uh, and when she talks about her husband, oh, yeah. when she talks about her husband dying from a grenade, when uh, Teru Teruo Yoshida repeats it, he says that her that her husband's head was split open like a pomegranate, which I don't yeah, think she yeah. said. So, <laughs> I <love that> detail. <laughs> It's not a thing she said. <laughs> no. Um, no, it's so sort of I'll, like um, it, it's it's kind of like I'm going through um, I'm playing through Dragon Quest Eleven right now for the first time uh, on the Nintendo Switch, and uh, I'm playing it with the the Japanese uh, language track, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting because uh, you know there it's it's still the the U.S. script, so it's it's very interesting. When I read the script and I, I I hear something, I'm like, oh, that is absolutely not what they just said. <laughs> it's kind of fun. <laughs> um, so you were you were saying um, Tokuyasu, the 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 husband Tokuyasu, not the wife Tokuyasu, right? The, yeah. Okay, so yeah, that's Nobuo hu- Kaneko. Um, yeah, is oh, the actor for oh, that. Oh, 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 never um, mind. Yeah, there, I forgot there are two Tokuyasus here. I'm I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just looking at the Wikipedia cast. Yeah, yeah. Said, no, that's the, the husband's <laughs> not even listed on the wiki. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's bullshit. He's, yeah, so he's, he's the one that, so and good. I may have sort of tipped this in my description of my cast list, but he's who I would definitely nominate as well because he's the one that I think um, is just he's the actor that stood out to me because I recognized him. But I just you know I love this guy. I think he's a very funny character actor, and but also very captivating when he needs to be. So I would nominate his, him um, as well as his expressive eyebrows and pouty lips. Cause yes. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's also the only character with an actual deal that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Mrs. Neil has, you know, her husband just died, but I, I, I mean, it's sort of ancillary to whatever else is going on here. At the yeah. very least, you know, the Tokiyasus and, and Mono have a thing going on and, and, you know, he does the classic, well, go ahead. Tell them why you're actually here, uh, mm-hmm. Lion. Um, you know that you hear so much in movies and TV, and uh, the fact that he, you know, gets to deliver that line and that you know they have a relationship. Uh, you know, I mean, I didn't see what the big deal was, but then again, I'm no politician. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, did uh, Casey or Scott? Do either of you have anybody that you wanted to bring up besides Kaneko? Um. Nobody particularly stood out to me. I do like Tokiyasu, uh, Tokiyasu's actor a lot for just having that like sweaty, manic, desperate look that yeah. gets increasingly more wild. Um, I did, I did uh, shit talk a lot of the acting in this, but I, I do find it very entertaining. Like mm-hmm. all of the characters as like silly and unserious as they are, I feel like uh, are, are good portraits of those characters, but none of them specifically stood out more than another. To me. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with all the uh, compliments that the actor playing Tokiyasu gets, especially in those scenes where he finally feels like he has the upper hand over someone he's, you know, he's bent over backwards to impress all this time. Uh, yeah. yeah, he plays it so well. Uh, I also, again, I think I think Mono is great in his uh, scener- scenery chewing evil. <laughs> like he never relents. <laughs> he is just always an asshole from beginning to end. Uh, I mean, to the point where even when he's about to die, and and Ishi saves, uh, you know, Teru uh, Yoshida saves him. He goes. He goes. No, wait. I'll go. You die, and then tries to shove him back in the plane. <laughs> like there's, there, oh my it's God. totally senseless, but he just sells it so well. Uh, but also, again, I wanted to go back to uh, someone I I mentioned I think a little too early uh, with my general thoughts, which was the psychiatrist who oh, is yeah. <laughs> is just way too creepy in the beginning, and then gets a gets a fairly cool uh, candlestick uh, hypnosis yes. scene that throws the movie into the occult very suddenly. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that too. I I actually ended up kind of glossing over my favorite part of the film, but I wanted to mention because Scott had brought up that the possession scene already. But what I wanted to add on to that was that it not only do we get that great effect scene with all the lights and stuff, but sort of the scenes surrounding that was we get that spooky psychiatrist and his like uh, candle hypnosis thing. And uh, yeah, that's that's really great. And against it's against like a black backdrop in part. Yeah, it's it's, really it's cool. very effectively minimal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so great. Yeah, I definitely. Um, yeah, so Kaneko, yeah, Nobuo Kaneko, like I said, is in a lot of like Yakuza movies, and you can probably kind of imagine him as the sort of sniveling boss type character who's not like a tough guy boss, but he's like a Shogun Orochi, if you will, um, for One Piece fans. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a really great. I, I love that guy. Um, so yeah, we have a couple questions, uh, a couple more questions from David uh, that he sent in, David Bednar on Twitter. Um, so thank you so much, David. Um, he wanted to know how does Goke rank with other body snatcher movies? So um, not enough body snatching. Yeah, yeah. there yep. exactly. <laughs> really. Yeah, there's like not enough of that sort of playing on the paranoia of who's been snatched, right? <laughs> but I think we've already figured this was some grindhouse poster maker <laughs> trying to yeah. sexy it up for uh, yeah. you know the Forty Second Street crowd. Yeah, yeah, yeah true. I was going to say, as far as space vampire movies, I'm also probably not going to rate it quite that high. <laughs> yeah, no, it's but. definitely no Planet of the Vampires. Um, yeah, which brings us to his last question, which is what movie would make a good double bill with Goke? Um, something I, like the 1980s blob, which you mentioned the the 50s blob or Planet of the Vampires. Um, okay, I, I, yeah. I, okay. Oh, go ahead. I was to say right away, uh, first of all, I'm never going to shoot down anyone that wants to watch the 80s blob. That is a wonder of incredible special effects. And if anybody mm-hmm. listening has not seen that run, don't walk. Um, but a movie that I think would go very well with this is the, in my view, the ultimate space vampire movie, which is Toby Hooper's Life Force. Yes. <laughs> Just oh. if, if you want if you want a totally trashy exploitation movie that takes the concept of a space vampire and completely runs with it right down to everybody that, you know, everybody that she, you know, okay. First of all, it's a naked space vampire movie. (laughs) Every person she comes into contact with also becomes a space vampire until the until it just unfolds into this bizarre, like incredibly apocalyptic movie, which something like this could have well done if they'd had a life force budget. Um, yeah, so I think I think watch this and then watch the escalation of some of these same ideas in Life Force. That's great. Yeah, that's actually that, I like that. I that makes me want to watch that movie now. Actually, yeah, something um, I was thinking you could pair this with are there's some um, this, these trio of movies called the that are known as the Bloodthirsty trilogy that are these Japanese uh, Dracula movies that are mm-hmm. kind of modeled after Hammer. Horror, and they are um, kind of boring, I will say, but they are neat. They kind of have a really interesting, <clears throat> spooky atmosphere, and and it's cool to see like a Japanese take on Dracula, like not just vampires, but like literally Dracula, you know. And um, uh, I don't know. I think probably the one I see recommended the most is Lake of Dracula, and I've seen two of the three, and and that and um, Evil of Dracula, and I think Lake of Dracula is better. But um, something that, but you know, if you didn't want to actually like do two movies back to back, I did get like I mentioned earlier a really strong like Twilight Zone vibe from this, and I think you could kind of like do pretty well to just like watch this and then watch an episode or two of Twilight Zone and call it a night. <laughs> um, did, did, did the Bloodthirsty trilogy also have the effect that's used in this movie where whenever somebody is drained by a vampire, they turn blue? Uh, but which is just like lighting yeah um, yeah i think so or or green like they they do a lot of this kind of like a woman uh sits up in bed and and looks creepy because she's being called to by dracula and, and they do the the kind of blue green lighting then and stuff like that i'd i'd just be curious Let's... to know if like turning blue from vampirism is a you know a japanese perception of 
uh, being attacked by vampires. I think that's an East Asian trope because like you like hopping vampires yeah, are Jiangxi. usually blue. Mm-hmm. The um, so the movie that I was thinking of for for a double feature, and whenever I do double features, I like to, you know, theming is always fun. But I think a, a fun companion movie, if you guys have ever seen the Omega Man, mm. Uh, mm. like, yeah, watching that like after this movie, where you know the Earth is already you know apocalyptic, <laughs> taking a a pre apocalyptic uh, uh, like a, a pre apocalyptic B movie, and then. Uh, putting a post-apocalyptic B movie on there. I don't know if you consider the Omega Man a B movie, but I kind of would. It's really, it's really seventies. Yeah, no, I think it fits uh, fits that bill for sure. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to talk a little about the comparison or the the running it with uh, Planet of the Vampires and why I think that's a bad idea. Mm. Um, my my only real thought was like I feel like the '50s Blob is a pretty gentle movie to run this with. That's not going to make it worse by look worse by comparison. Uh, but I spent a lot of time thinking about Planet of the Vampires uh, while watching this, which I guess makes this two for two of me talking about that movie when we have guests. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I feel like uh, Planet of the Vampires was probably on a even smaller budget than this movie. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, and came out a few years before this <laughs> did. And it does so much more with that budget, which like it, it's unfair because that thing is a miracle that they made it for as much as they did. Uh, but they've, they've got a lot of the same stuff. You have this small cast of people going back and forth between these like small handful of of pretty well utilized sets um but i i feel like playing the vampires is so much better paced and uh in general more visually interesting because they're it's set on an alien landscape instead of uh just like some some rocky outcroppings mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like if you did a double feature with this and Planet of the Vampires, that it would make this this film look far worse in comparison. So I actually like the uh, Casey's suggestion of highlighting the uh, the kind of evolution of the genre uh, rather than putting putting them head to head. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, any uh, final thoughts on <coughs> Goke Body Snatcher from Hell? No, well, I, uh, I, I um, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I wanted to uh, since I opened it on a statement that sort of made it seem like I didn't quite like this movie. I no, I want to say it is a perfectly entertaining B movie. I think once you embrace the B movie logic of it, and especially the, you know the scenes that we've talked about before, you know, involving any anything involving the UFO, the alien blob, the just wild energy of the first ten minutes. I think all of that stuff is fantastic. It's it's easily recommendable in that way and i just wanted to highlight uh in particular the cinematography uh because i Mm -hmm. think that for a movie that pretty much takes place solely in the cabin of a crashed plane they got a lot of great camera angles out of uh that set and made it look a lot more compelling than it otherwise could have so uh so uh shout out to the cinematographer shizo uh, Shizuo Harase, who seems like he only really did other Shochiko movies, and this was one of the last ones he worked on. So, no, oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, that was a really cool set too. By the way, the 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 they had like a whole crashed plane that they were jumping yeah. in and out of and stuff, and that that was really great. <clears throat> I thought that was cool. Yeah, I I was pretty warm on this movie. I, I liked it quite a lot. Um, and you know it's a bad movie, but I like bad movies, so uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So that was uh, very fun. Thanks. I'm glad that uh, we all got to talk about it. So next episode, uh, Scott will be hosting. What are we going to be talking about, Scott? Uh, we are going to be talking about. Uh, I don't have my information for me. Hold on. <clears throat> uh, we're going to be talking about Yuki Tanada's. Uh, 2004 movie Moon and Cherry, uh, which is a romantic comedy about a uh, college student who is a virgin and he decides to open and or, or join an erotic writing club uh, mm. and uh, various uh, bizarre hijinks ensue. Awesome. Yeah, I have uh, I had not heard about this before you brought it to us, so I'm looking forward to seeing it. 
Uh, it is available to stream on the service MUBI, M-U-B-I. Oh, okay. uh, not, and I think there was a U.S. DVD release, but I'm, I haven't looked to see how available it is right now. Okay, cool. That's good. That's great. Um, yeah, if we hadn't mentioned this earlier, uh, GoCase is available uh, streaming on on the Criterion channel. So glad that we're, we're covering a few things that folks will be able to watch pretty easily. So, Casey, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having yeah, me. Thank I've, you. I've uh, really enjoyed the show, so I'm glad I could finally stop on. Yeah, yeah, that's um, yeah. This is really fun. We should uh, we should have guests on more often, but it's always kind of <laughs> tough with the just scheduling and stuff. It's tough. But uh, so, uh, do you, uh, Casey? Where can people find you? And is there anything that you'd like them to check out? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Manovsky Article, and sometimes I'll be appearing on the One Piece podcast. I'm going to try to do that more often. I used to be a fairly regular guest. Uh, I'm, if By the time you hear this, I think I will have been on again. Uh, so, yeah, look for, look for me there. And uh, I'm doing some freelance writing about uh, manga, particularly horror manga, for people who might be interested in that subject. And if you're listening to an episode about Goke, I would think you are. Um, so yeah, uh, just check me out on Twitter and you'll find links to all the rest. Okay. Awesome. And Scott, how about you? Uh, you can find me on Vriska chat at, or on Twitter at Vriska chat, V R I S K C H A T. Um, I don't have anything going on right now, but it is the holiday season and you should watch my favorite holiday movie of all time. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. You don't need to watch the first one. It is contained almost entirely within the sequel. Nice. <laughs> All right. And Alex. Uh, find me on Twitter at dude exclamation. All one word, of course. Um, listen to me weekly on the One Piece podcast and uh, check out Weeb Simpsons, another Twitter account that I own. That um, uh, I recently did a Promare tweet that has been getting a lot of traction because Promare is the hottest thing since sliced anime. Mm-hmm. Red that is usually in the mouths of schoolgirls who are late for class. <laughs> uh, um, uh, what else? I think that's it. Yeah, that's just it. All right. You know where to find me. Sounds good. Um, I'm at Joey Weiser on Twitter, Joey Weiser Comics on Instagram. Uh, check out my work, the Merman graphic novel series and Ghost Hog, which just came out earlier this year. Um, they'd make great last minute gifts depending on when this movie or when this episode drops. You probably have a little bit of time to get those for holiday gifts or, hey, if you find yourself with some uh, gift cards or holiday money, uh, check them out. Um, and let's see. And yeah, and just keep an eye on my social media for um, what I'll be doing as far as conventions and stuff next year. Um Toho Yaro has a Twitter account at Toho Yaro, or you can like us on Facebook uh, where uh, we are especially active on Twitter where we retweet news and things like that about Japanese film, um, anything cool that we come across and then talk about our current episodes and upcoming episodes. And we've been trying to reach out more and get more questions like the uh, wonderful ones that David sent us uh, this, this episode. Um, and you can also email us tohoyaro at gmail.com with questions and comments and things like that. Um, and please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast uh, app of choice. And uh, please uh, come back next time for our episode on Moon and Cherry. Out of the fiery depths of a mysterious alien planet, comes the most horrifying experience in motion picture history. Never before has such a frightening, oozing mass of stark terror crept across the screen. Body Snatcher from Hell. I don't want to die! I don't want to die! strange world in outer space comes this fiendish vampire satisfying his sinister and evil lust by feasting on the blood of his victims.
from draining his victims' blood and turning them into terrifying corpses. Body Snatcher from Hell. His unquenchable thirst for blood must be satisfied. Coming to this theater soon.